Genesis 3, the verse 8, the Word of God says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told thee that I was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat it? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Amen. May the Lord bless the public reading of his precious word. It is primarily the verse 15 that we want to consider this morning in our time remaining. Whenever God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I want to consider with you grace in the midst of judgment. Grace in the midst of judgment. Let's just ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Father in heaven, we come to thee and we thank thee, God, that thou hast already been with us in this meeting. We thank thee for the help that has been given in every aspect and every part of it. Now, as we have thy precious word open before us, and as we come to the most important part of the meeting, we simply say, with that spirit of Samuel, speak, for thy servant heareth. O God, that I will speak to our hearts, that I will prepare our hearts even now to receive thy word, that it will be to the edifying and to the building up of thy people It will be that call to bring back the backslider. And, O God, that it will be that conviction even upon uh, the unsaved that thou wilt speak to them. 
that I will draw them on to thyself. O Father, hear and answer prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As you come into these particular verses, and as you look at the verse 9 in particular, you come to the very first recorded question in all of Scripture. Whenever God comes in the cool of the day and He calls out unto Adam, and He says to him, Where art thou? It is an immediate aftermath of the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve have just ate of the forbidden fruit. Sin has now entered in, and death will come by sin. And yet in that very moment, God does not simply condemn them and cast them from this world, but rather He begins with a question. Where art thou? Now, as I meditated upon the questions which God asks in this particular passage, I was reminded of the fact that every single question that God asks here is always full of grace. And indeed, every question that God asks of His people has always been full of grace. It's always for our benefit. I do remember God is an omniscient God. That means He is all-knowing. There is nothing outside of the mind and outside of the knowledge of God. God, does never, God never asks a question that He might learn something. God never asks a question that His knowledge might increase, but rather when God asks a question, it is that we might search ourselves that we might search our minds and we might search our hearts. Because whenever God comes in the cool of the day and He asks, Adam, where art thou? It is that Adam might search himself and see where he is, not simply in the physical sense, but rather in the spiritual sense. He calls to Adam. And what he's really saying is, Adam, now that thou hast sinned, now that you have rebelled and disobeyed my word, where are you? And Adam's answer, of course, will be one that highlights to the fact that Adam is now full of fear. Adam is now full of guilt. And Adam is now full of shame. All of those answers will come forth from one question. Adam, where art thou? God's questions are always examinations. God's questions always give us a time and an opportunity to examine ourselves. Adam is really being asked the question, Adam, are you happy now where you are? Adam, just for a minute, think where you were. Think of the relationship. Think of the union, the communion that you had with me. Think of those times of blessing of my presence. Think of all of the bountifulness that I have lavished upon you. And now, Adam, look where you are compared to look where you were. And ask yourself the question, Adam, are you happy? That guilt, that fear, that shame, Adam, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, as I continue to look down through the questions that God asked, because verse 11, his second question to Adam is, Who told thee that thou wast naked? 
The third question then is to the woman in the verse 13. What is this that thou hast done? God starts to draw it out bit by bit. Where art thou? Who told thee that thou wast naked? And then to the woman, what is this that thou hast done? All are questions of grace. These questions, God, God didn't even have to ask them, remember that. God in His justice could have simply condemned and cast Adam and Eve straight into hell forever because of their sin, because of their rebellion. But yet God in His mercy and His grace, He paused, He asked them, He turned as it were, and He caused them to search out their hearts. But then I come to the next verse. And did you notice who didn't get asked the question? God comes and asks Adam, Adam, where art thou? Adam, who told thee that thou wast naked? Adam then points the finger at the woman. The woman did it. God then asks the woman a question. What is this that thou hast done? And the woman says, the serpent. But God never asks the devil a question. You see, there's no grace for the devil. There's no mercy for the devil. There's no opportunity to turn. There never will be. All that is for the devil and for his fallen angels is judgment. John 16 11, it says, Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, it says, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. And you know that verse in, in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, and the word there for hell is only used one time in all of Scripture, and it's only used for the fallen angels. Because what God has prepared for them in hell is unique to only them. There is judgment in these verses that we read together. But when you come to the verse 15, I want us to simply consider today that there is grace in the midst of judgment. Three things I leave with you in our time remaining. Firstly, I want you to see the verse 15, that grace was planned. Grace was planned. God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Never for one moment think that grace in the plan of salvation was some kind of afterthought. Never for one moment think that God was taken by surprise whenever Adam and Eve sinned. He was never, ever playing catch-up. He was never simply responding to a crisis. And of course, how often that's how governments work. They see a crisis, a crisis arises in their minds and their hearts, and then a government will act. Government will bring in new laws. Government will change the way things are done to respond to a crisis. God never was playing catch-up. God knew exactly what was coming, and the plan of salvation was already in place. The plan of redemption was eternal. There was never a moment in the existence of God whenever the cross was not in view. 
There was never a moment in the existence of all of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whenever the Father had not willed, and the Son had not agreed, and the Spirit would not energize, that Christ would come and would die upon the cross. That has always been in view. And it always will be. It has always been upon the mind and the heart of God. It has always been upon the mind and the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, it is an amazing truth. All eternity past, the cross has always been there on the heart of God. And for all eternity to come, the cross is still the very centerpiece because in heaven the song will always be sung, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We speak about the human aspect of it being the centerpiece of all of human history. But the cross has always been the center of everything. Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, According as he hath chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 3 and 11, according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Second Timothy 1 and verse 9, who have saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before, before the world began. The grace of God that is spoken here in Genesis 3 and verse 15 is something that has always been planned. You see, in the midst of that moment, as God is delivering his divine judgment, he's judging the serpent, he's judging the devil, he's going to judge Adam and he's going to judge Eve, and there are judgments that are coming. And yet in the very midst of it, God reveals, not simply to Adam and Eve, but God even reveals it to the devil. There is coming a Messiah. A Savior is planned. A Savior is promised. And a Savior will be victorious. Redemption will take place. You know, I believe the devil and his deception. Remember, the devil is the greatest deceiver of all. The devil deceived the woman, but I believe that the devil also was able to deceive himself. He deceived himself when he got cast out of heaven. He believed he could be God. And so that's in his pride. He built himself up. He warred against the spiritual forces in heaven and he was cast out. But I believe as he came to this earth, he believed that whenever, whenever he caused Adam and Eve to sin, the devil in his deception believed, right, God will then cast them. God will banish them as he has banished the fallen angels. God will cast him straight into hell. And his crown of creation, man itself created in the image of God, will be cast into hell. 
and I'll have more allies. And I'll have more forces. And I'll have more followers. And yet God steps forward. God says to Adam and to Eve and to the devil, no, there is a plan in place already. Redemption is planned. Yes, she will bruise the head or the heel, but the heel will crush your head. Remember, man cannot save himself. We've seen that. And you read the opening verses in the book of Genesis in the chapter 3, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve tried to cover their own sin. Two different ways they tried to cover it. Firstly, they put so fig leaves together and they make aprons. But then whenever they hear the voice of God coming in the cool of the day, they immediately run behind the bushes and the trees. They're trying to do a double covering. We've covered ourselves with fig leaves and now we cover ourselves with trees and bushes. We're trying to cover our sin. One question from God just casts away their coverings. Man can't save itself. God says, no, but I will save them. I will send a Savior. God had a plan. Grace was going to save John Flavel, the great Puritan, he says, Grace is to corruption what water is to fire. You see, grace, when it enters in, it just takes the corruption away. Yes, there would be judgment. There is judgment, and there will be yet more judgment. But thank God, in the midst of judgment, there is grace. And it was forever planned and purposed of God. Secondly, not only is grace planned, but the verse 15, grace was perfect. Grace was perfect. Because it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. As I said previously, I don't believe the devil. And even the deception of himself I don't believe that, or i sorry, I do believe that if the devil was able to, or to cause the crown of creation to sin, in other words, man to sin, I believe the devil expected then man to be cast out, man to be cast from God, and man, therefore, to be against God. Therefore, they would be willing friends and followers. So the devil's looking upon Adam and Eve and saying, well, all of Adam and Eve and all of their descendants and everything that will come, every single one of them will be united with me against the common enemy of God. And forever I will have allies. And we will all be against God together. And yet verse 15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. In other words, each and every one who will be saved will never be the devil's ally and will never be the devil's friend. See, that's what grace does in the life of an individual. 
It takes them away from the devil. It brings them into the family of God. It takes them away from following after the devil. It brings them into the being the followers of God. It causes them to reject the devil. It causes them to hate the devil. That's the great truth of everyone that is saved. We hate the devil. The devil hates us. We stand against the devil because he is against our Savior. We hate everything he stands for. We hate everything that he has done. You see, that's the great work of grace and sanctification. That whenever we are justified, declared righteous in the sight of God, then God, by His Spirit and by His grace, He enters into us, and we die more and more unto self and unto sin. And we cause, even within us, the grace of God causes us to hate sin more and more. That our attraction towards sin, that our attraction towards the lust and the flesh, that our attraction towards the world, it dies, it dilutes, it goes down, and it disappears. That therefore we are at enmity with God, our enmity with the devil. We hate him. You know, God can say of his people, just as he says here in Genesis 3 and 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. God can say of his people, each and every single one of them is saved, yes, but each and every one of them is kept. Isn't that what Christ himself prayed? John 17 and verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Each and every one of us that is saved, Christ is glorified in us. We are tokens of grace. Born in sin and depravity. We are born with that nature within us that all we desire is the wrongdoing, all we desire is sin. And yet when God enters in and the grace of God comes into our lives and we're saved by grace, then we are changed. We're made new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old things, they pass away. All things become new. And Christ is glorified in us. Because he can use us as testimonies, even as he did of Job. Job 1, whenever he speaks to the devil, hast thou considered my servant Job? There's nothing within him that is sinful. His love, his adoration, his energy, all of Job is towards me. The devil has to admit, I can't even get near Job. There's a hedge of grace and protection around him. See, God can say to the devil, the child of God is saved, the child of God is kept. The child of God, each one that is saved, 
They contend earnestly for the faith. They will remain steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of God. That means that they will always be at enmity with the devil because they are servants of the high king, soldiers of the cross. Oh yes, my friends, sin abounds. But the grace of God is perfect for where sin abounds, grace doth yet more abound. Oh yes, the devil destroyed through sin. But grace delivered. God had a plan for redemption and God has a people for redemption. And those people that are saved are at enmity with the devil forever. So let me encourage you, each one today that is saved. Child of God, continue to stand against all that is evil. And having done all to stand, never bow, never bend. New year. The gospel still the same. Standards of God are still the same. Never change. You're at enmity with the devil. So earnestly, even this year, contend against him. There is a plan. Grace was planned. Grace was perfect. But thirdly and finally, grace is found in one person and one person alone. It says here in Genesis 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It has been said by some that this is the first gospel message that was ever preached. The first gospel promise of a Savior. You see what God is promising and covenanting to both mankind and indeed to the devil is this. There will be a Savior. And he will come through the seed of the woman. Eve, you will not die immediately. You will have children. And through your descendants will come the Savior. And that Savior will destroy the devil. Oh yes, in the midst of pain and sorrow of childbirth, there is joy. See, in childbirth, Eve is going to experience something she's never experienced before. Great sorrow, great agony, great pain will be upon her body. And yet in the midst of that, as that child will come forth, there will be joy because there is evidence of the promise. My seed will bring forth a Messiah. There will come a Savior and his heel will be bruised. For he will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. 
but he will defeat the devil. Do you know from that very moment in the Garden of Eden, the devil knows he has promised you're going to lose. One will come forth who will give his life and who will be victorious. Victorious over sin. Victorious over, the, over Satan. And victorious for sinners. Colossians 2 and verse 13 it says, You being dead in your sins and of the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. You remember the great cry that Christ cries upon the cross? Finished. It wasn't simply a cry that man might hear. It was a cry that the devil might hear. I have taken the sin of my people upon my body, and I have paid the debt and I have endured the wrath of God. And now I will die. But Satan, you're defeated. Romans 16, verse 20, it says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Always remember the person of grace is no ordinary person. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus only. There is no salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men. Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned, much more they which receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. He is the person of grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, As an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ would come. Clothed in our humanity, he would go to the cross. He would shed his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Oh yes, there is judgment. The serpent, as the vessel which the devil used from that moment onwards, is made to go about in its belly. It was a visual reminder to Adam at that time, and of course, even to all of us. A reminder of the curse of sin. Yes, the woman would have sorrow in childbirth. Yes, the man would have sorrow in the sweat of the daily work of life until his death when he returned to the dust and the ground. Yes, there is judgment, but thank God there is grace. 
the devil is defeated. Christ, though he died for our sins, he rose for our justification. He lives. He reigns. He is victorious. Every child of God today can rejoice. Rejoice in sins forgiven. Rejoice in the person of Christ. We have victory in him. Death has no sting, grave has no victory. Every child of God today has the right to shout and to sing because our Savior is on the throne. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Maybe you're here this morning and you're unsaved. My friend, if you're still in your sin today, it means the curse of sin is still upon you. The wrath of God is still toward you. You need to come to Christ. You need to come to the cross. You need to come and to lay your sins upon Jesus. You need to come and experience that so great salvation that only Jesus Christ can offer. You die in your sin. You go out into a lost eternity to eternal judgment. You die in your sin, the last words you will hear is, Depart from me. Ye cursed. I never knew you. The Lord asks you the question today, Where art thou? May the Lord search our hearts. May the Lord speak to us. And if you're here in your sin, may this be the day when you realize, I need the grace of God. I need to be saved. And only Christ can save me. Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we bow in thy presence. We do thank thee and praise thee for the grace of God. We thank thee for the plan of salvation. We thank thee, O God, for the obedience of thy Son, and the willingness to go to the cross and to die for our sins. We pray, O God, that I will speak on now as the voice of man grows silent. That I will continue to work in every heart. Encourage thy people. O Father, we pray that in these days that we will ever be at enmity with the devil. That we will never bow, but rather we will earnestly contend for the faith. We pray for each one that is still out of Christ and unsaved. 
God, that I would have mercy upon them. That this day the wrath of God will be appeased in them through the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansing them from all sin. O Father, hear and answer prayer. Separate us now with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety. Watch over us and bring us again this night. In Jesus' name. Amen.